0: Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. But first, I want to tell you about Dennis's brand new online course called Understanding Active Participation in the Sacred Liturgy. I am not lying when I tell you this is probably my favorite course that we have available right now. It is a complete how-to guide on the Mass, what you should do and how you should do it. It is really amazing. And you can get it for half off right now until June 23rd if you go to www.liturgyonline half off until June 23rd, go to that website, look at the catalog. The course is called Understanding Active Participation in the Sacred Liturgy, 50% off until June 23rd. And speaking of active participation, this week we sit down with L.I. graduate, Father Brian Strauss, to talk about his thesis, which is about active participation. So without further ado, episode 34 of season three of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy All right, Dennis. Jesse. We have guess
1: a, who's with us? Who have we had as a guest before? I don't know. Before? You've blindfolded me so who I can't see. Who have we it? had as a guest before? Bishop Barron. Okay. We've had... Connor Danstrom. Connor Dan, Father Connor Danstrom. Father Kyle Mano. Father Dan Steele. Father Dan Steele. Okay. Monsignor This Dempsey. is kind of ruining my point, but... Anyway, they're all big shots. Now, who is our guest today? I don't know. You've blindfolded me. Right. I can't Take see. the blindfold off. <laughs> Oh, Father Brian Strauss <laughs> who's been a priest for like 5 minutes and nonetheless right. is still has his shiny newly ordained shine. Do, 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 baby priest. Do, do. <laughs> Mama priest. Do, do, do. What? Well, hey, oh, too soon of the priest, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, w- priest. welcome to say the you
1: guys. Father Brian Strauss. Hello. Good to be no, on I here. I said say hi. Hi. <laughs> hi. There you there. Okay, there you go. He's already already messing up just graduated from the liturgical Institute's specialized degree in the licentiate of secret theology STL. That's right. Not what four days ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, very recent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're the actual first newly minted student we've ever had on the podcast. In fact, Jesse recommended this a long time ago and I was like, "Eh, we want to talk about ideas. We don't just want to become a parade for our graduates, (laughs) but you had so many ideas floating around in your thesis head that I thought, yeah, you fit the bill. Yeah. How's that thesis head doing? Still feeling like you remember your thesis?
2: A bit, a bit. It's good to unwind after the academic year's over and kind of forget about all that, but well, try to it's remember. all Try in to it.
1: remember it for the next half hour. Was Dennis, oh, your,
0: yes. y- was Dennis your director? He was. Heck director. yeah, man. He was. You know, I have to give a, a small shout out to uh, Three Dogs North uh, podcast for roasting
1: DMAC. Well, that's <laughs> the, because I was also Father Michael Metz's thesis. Who direction. we should also roast. We should just roast oh, yes. him. Yeah, that's right. He complained about me yeah. as his director. I should complain about him as my student. Write better. Can you Father believe Metz. he didn't have a thesis statement? Boom, roasted. <laughs> You're roasted. Yeah, okay. Okay. I had to write on his paper. Do you see how many words you've used and said absolutely nothing? <laughs> that's what he complained that I said. But I'll just complain that I had to read it first and then write it. So, <laughs> oh, that's a good rose. We roast. love you, Father Mitz. <laughs> All so, right. So you're a priest of Springfield, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, the that's other right. Missouri diocese.
2: That's right. Yeah. Southern Missouri, ordained last summer and came back for my licentiate year. And Now you are licentious. That's right. We have a, a
1: licentiate. <laughs> <laughs> so I like it. Yeah, Jesse likes it. So you wrote about... Cardinal Ratzinger slash Pope Benedict the theology of active participation in the liturgy. Yes, exactly. Okay, we are done here now. (laughs) Now, (laughs) That's all. Many people know of him and they kind of think, oh, well, he's just conservative. And some people think that's good. Some people think that's bad. But he's actually really, really smart. Mm -hmm. So what's the essential issue of his worldview that he provided that makes people so interested in all that?
2: Yeah, well, he, of course, was involved in Vatican II, and that's why it is appropriate to do a paper on active participation, which is the cornerstone of Sacrosanctum Concilium. So he's in a good position to understand what that meant. Because so, he was there. That's right. He was there. And he there. was actually
1: thinking about it before there.
2: He knew the liturgical movement, which is something that you've discussed on the podcast many yeah, times. That's and, all the many ideas about things that then get incorporated into official documents. Yes, yes.
1: So what's his big insight?
2: Well, basically, um, a few points. I mean, his book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, and several other books talk about how the liturgy is an objective mystery that we enter into when we participate in the liturgy, the mass, the sacraments, the divine office. It's a mystery that God gives to us. Essentially, the core of the mass is the sacrifice of Christ, that Jesus historically offered himself on the cross as a sacrifice for us all, but that we are all able to incorporate ourselves to be incorporated into that sacrifice. And yeah, so we offer happen? ourselves.
1: It wasn't just a one-time act that happened in 33 AD in a faraway place. It was. There was that. and that One was. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was
2: once for all, but it's also every liturgy. We are brought back uh, in a way of presence to that moment, to that sacrifice. And so the sacrifice of Jesus is present on the altar for us, every single mass, every single liturgy. And so we have the opportunity to enter into that as the mystical body of Christ—that's kind of the key hmm. term
0: there.
1: You know, you sound like Chris because he never stops quoting sacrosan- I mean, uh, Ratzinger's Spirit of the Liturgy—he's got like oh, entire yeah. chapters memorized. Now, is wow.
0: this—is this something that uh, needed to be refounded? Like, what? Why was this such a big deal? Was it the fact seems that seems kind of obvious? Yeah, right? pe- people weren't doing it, or were they doing? I mean, what was happening that it needed to be sta- said again?
1: That's a good question. Um, Yeah, that's my favorite chapter of your thesis where you like shut down the alternative theories. (laughs) Right, right. So if chapter two is
2: kind of looking at his theology, chapter three is putting that in dialogue with other theories. And I didn't want to get to like the super theological foundations because they're actually after the 60s and 70s, there wasn't a lot of hardcore theological research on what act means, people just started saying what it meant and they started applying it in different ways. like External busyness. Yes. Right? Yeah, so different theories. The mass is mainly a fraternal meal for us to eat and drink together, which is, as Ratzinger would, would say, and as I say in my thesis, true but not the whole truth. And uh, people were saying this before Vatican II? Um, after Vatican II, okay. basically. And so, uh, you know, I pick up these theories, the theory that like external participation is what is most important or the theory that we as the assembly, as the faithful, celebrate the sacrament, which you have to be very careful and nuanced because by sacramental theology is not quite true and so um, Cardinal Ratzinger addressed that in his theology. Hmm. What was your thesis actually called?
1: Um, Is it a big long title?
2: Active participation in the the liturgical theology of uh, Joseph Ratzinger. Oh,
1: well that's Pretty straightforward. Okay. So if active participation isn't just external busyness, then what is it? Well, it's
2: mainly, it's a spiritual interior participation, participation of the mind and heart in the liturgical action. And that is always fostered by and expressed in external participation. And so in the movements of the body, in the words we say, the songs we sing, but also in silence, in reception of the texts of the Mass, in receiving what Christ is giving to us in the Mass. And so act participation, it enters into the mystery. As I said before, it's the self-offering we make along with Christ. It is something universal. So it's not just this congregation in this church doing the liturgy, but the entire
1: church, and we're brought up into that. Right. So in one sense, you know, the mystery is a funny word. People oh, enter the mystery. What does oh, yeah, that mean? Yeah. But in Greek, mysterion is how the word sacrament is translated. Mm-hmm. And so that means there's this invisible reality that we don't have access to normally, except somehow we're getting access to it through sensible things, right? Things made of stuff, people, right. material, and whatever. So we're talking about the liturgy as a mystery. In other words, we're making encounterable the action of Christ. Isn't that what he calls the axio?
2: That's right, yeah. That it's the axio, the action of God, is made present in the oratio, in the liturgical prayer we, we enter into, that we, that we make. And uh, of course, because Jesus became incarnate, you know, the word of God took on a human form and became a human being and then uh suffered and died for us that means analogously everything in the liturgy the divine is accessible through what is sensible accessible through words through actions and through things like oil water bread wine Um, and so the divine is made accessible and so that's how we enter into the mystery
1: and the sacramentum right so christ is at the right hand of the father and Mm -hmm. we are christ because we're members of his body and he wants us to have access to the things that he has access to and the things that he's doing. But unless you're dead and off in heaven doing them, you have to encounter them somehow. Exactly. So it's not just us on earth doing our earthly thing, because ultimately we don't have the power to save ourselves, right? right? But we're doing what Christ does, which is, Father, we give ourselves to you. Father, we offer you the value of Christ's resurrection and we offer you our own selves. And, and so to do that well, means to enter into the action of God. That's active participation. Am I right?
2: That's right. That's right. I did read your thesis, I think. (laughs) Yeah. And you knew that already. (laughs) How
1: does,
0: how does, how do you as a priest do that differently than me as a lay person?
2: Well, it's a great question and we have to make the distinction. Ratzinger makes the distinction, Pope Pius XII does and Vatican II, that the priest is appointed as the head of the church represents in the liturgy the head of the mystical body. So he represents Christ and he represents the whole church. And so the priest has the authority to say the words of Christ. And Pope Benedict is big on this. Only the priest can, uh, he doesn't take it upon himself, rather he's given the gift of saying the words of Christ. This is my body, this is my blood, do this in memory of me. And so he has the sacramental power to consecrate. And so to make the sacrament occur, kind of sacramentally. That's our sacramental theology. But then we have to say that Everyone who's baptized has a priesthood, has a common priesthood. We're all baptized priest, prophet, and king, right? And so Vatican II says, all of us, all the faithful, take part in that offering through our own way. And so the faithful, the lay faithful, they participate in the words and actions of Christ through the priest. And so they also offer the Eucharist in the hands of the priest. And so those are both very strong elements we have to keep together and in balance to make the distinction. Um, And that's why Ratzinger says, We're not uh, each of us in the same way celebrants, but we all um, together participate in. He says the sacraments are acts of the entire body, head and members, and you can't do it without the head, and the priest represents the head, but it's of the entire body.
1: Yeah, if your toes were trying to do math, that would be not so hot, right? Right. Your head can make your toes move you over to the blackboard to do the math problem, but without your head, You'd get the wrong total. You would get the wrong total. <laughs> right, so and Christ does what we can't do, right, which is he takes us into the dialogue of the Trinity and says, Father, here I am. And we say, okay, Christ, take me with you. But then how do you do it? How do you encounter it? The priest collects, right? There's the mm-hmm. collect, collects our prayers and gives them to the Father, collects the anticipation, the uh, sentiments of the members of the body, gives them to the Father on the altar, just as Christ does. And boy, if you just say this is our community meal, you are doing almost nothing. You might as well do that at home, right? That's right. Yeah. Alone with your friends. Yeah, why, why even go if it's just a meal with friends? Right. Well, it is a meal with friends in a sense, but it's the meal of the mystical body. It's a sacrificial banquet. That's what the church calls it, a sacrificial banquet. Not just a banquet, but a sacrificial mm-hmm. banquet. Mm-hmm. Christ offers himself as the host, but also the food right, and the victim. Yeah. All right, so you had a bunch of theories there that you said were the Contrary theories or whatever uh-huh. you know I know you use specific theologians names you don't have to do that right now, but um, probably a lot of people 's everyday experience of their parish is dominated by one of those theories more or less um, meal theory or some of the other ones that you mm-hmm. had. what what are some of those alternative theories that Ratzinger was trying to yeah so in the,
2: the idea that the Eucharist what it is in its essence is a fraternal meal and so what do we do it's a meal of communion we get together we eat and drink at the table of the lord i think a lot of us catholics have heard those that kind of terminology we break bread together
1: on our knees right that's exactly
2: and so those things are true those are elements of the eucharist but is that the primary means the primary mode in which we encounter the liturgy Um, because it's not the whole picture it's not even the main part of the essence and so as writing was said of course The Eucharist is food for the journey, it is nourishment for us, Uh, it's viaticum, um, but it's also mainly, it's not just the Eucharist the thing, but it's the Mass as the whole liturgical event, it's the act of Christ, the self-offering, the sacrifice. And that's what makes it what it is. The meal stuff is added onto that as another Mm -hmm. element of that. So different theologians that I talk about um, in different writings and journals, some of them deny the sacrifice, some of them kind of subordinate it to say that, The temple sacrifice kind of went away into like a spiritual, vague kind of sense of sacrifice, and that's what we encounter in the sacred meal. And then some of them will put it parallel and say the Mass is a sacrifice, the Mass is a meal. Those are the same, mainly it's a meal, you know, so uh, Ratzinger disagrees with those. He says that the Last Supper was kind of the circumstances that the Eucharist was instituted when Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. Do this in memory of me.
0: But then he's like, it was to, one of the least important parts of what was actually happening. Well, yeah, <laughs> the so, fact that uh, that was just the scenario that was in, around it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He he says that Christ was celebrating the Passover, which had import theologically for his sacrifice. You know, the next day he'd go die on the cross and then um, then be resurrected be raised from the dead but that what he's doing when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, is he's pointing forward to that sacrifice on the cross. And so Ratzinger makes the point that the Last Supper, him sitting around the table having a feast with his uh, apostles, was not the essential setting for what makes the Mass. It wasn't the form of the liturgy. Um, it's an element of it, you know, so it, but it didn't provide the essential content.
1: Well, even Passover would have been a very highly ritualistic, understanding of yes. being freed from slavery and freed from death and the blood on the doorposts and you were preserved right. from destruction. So it seems pretty logical that if the meal is the form that God gave for Passover right, mm-hmm. to set to eat the sacrificial victim, well, you would see that as preparation for Christ to say, well, guess what I'm going to, you're going to now eat the new sacrificial victim, which is me. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to be in the form of a meal, but it's a highly ritualized um, sacrificial meal.
2: Right. And so Ratzinger says, Jesus did not tell us to repeat the Passover meal, you know, when he says, do this in memory of me. He's talking about the offering of his own body and blood, and especially, you know, in the sacrifice of the cross.
0: How so. cognizant, obviously he took this the name of his book, Spirit of the Liturgy, from Romano Guardini, but how cognizant of the liturgical movement was he in terms of his preparation for Vatican II?
2: Oh, he sees it as uh, Vatican II was kind of the theological capstone of the liturgical movement. And he talks about how important Odo Causal was, and that's where he gets his theology of the liturgy as mystery, objective mystery, we participate
1: in. We and have then a podcast on Odo Causal, I think from season one, maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? is, his big contribution was participation in a an act, a mystery act. So there was the cult mysteries in the pagan world. Where you wouldn't just wait around for the priest to do something for you, you would re-engage or sort of relive the life and death of a of a god and come back to life. And it was in the participation of the rite itself that you actually were transformed. And so the um, the rite became not just the thing you have to do to get mm-hmm. you know your Eucharist machine right at the end, yeah. but it was actually something in which you were supposed to engage and be transformed. And and then the the fulfillment of that would be the the Eucharist at the end as the pledge of the the reality of the act. Just Finished. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's I got two yes from Father Bray. <laughs> <laughs> you have an STL and I don't, so it's a good one you say
2: yes to me. Yeah, but you're the one who approved the thesis in the first place.
1: Well that's true. I just checked it for grammar mostly. You did all the uh the seri- <laughs> the serious thinking about it.
2: Yeah. And on that question, Jesse also Ratzinger talks about how Vatican II, all the bishops present there, they didn't think the liturgical document, Sacrosanctum Chilium, and the debate was really that big of a deal. They actually did it first because they thought it would be rather easy, um, and everyone was pretty much in agreement. And I think some writers have disagreed with him there and said it was really highly tense, you know, and there was disagreement. But Ratzinger makes it clear that no, everyone was pretty much in agreement with the norms of the liturgical movement, with the ideas of the liturgical movement, and that's why Sacrosanctum Concilium was produced without a lot of fighting and debate
1: and tension. I don't so. remember all the alternative theories you proposed. One of them was the meal, as you've mentioned. There, there was some other stuff that I found pretty shocking. Um, some, you know, main, sort of mainstream Catholic theologians denying certain stuff, but I can't remember what it was. Do you? Oh yeah, you, yeah. And your country theories. I
2: talked about different theories to talk about. Um, external participation is more important and there you know i got into some thinkers that say yeah Um, (laughs) that
0: (laughs) lay person orons like that type of stuff
2: yeah sort of i mean that's kind of also the other thing i tackled was that the assembly is celebrating the sacrament And, and to be more precise the assembly the faith the lay faithful are making the eucharist happen um which as we just mentioned a few minutes ago you know isn't quite the case you got to be more nuanced
1: mm-hmm. it's kind of true right see i always yes. think the mystical body theology solves all of our problems because we're kind of arguing about headship versus membership, lay membership. Who's the priest? Who's the real priest? Is there an ontological difference or not? You say, okay, head and members together arrange hierarchically, and they offer themselves as a victim. That's, that's what they all do. That's the participation that you do. So you sing your praise of God as mm-hmm. a head and as a member, right? And if in yeah. the, in before Vatican II, for whatever reason, historically, the members didn't say anything. It doesn't mean you have to go up and be the head. Just sing and do what the members do. Right. And so, all, yeah, go ahead
2: the faithful participating make it a fuller reality they make the liturgy uh, you know something more significant that the liturgy exists for the for the sake of the participation of the people in the action of god that's why god gives it to us so we don't want to say it's unimportant or it doesn't matter or it's not a factor but you know then we're talking about the efficacy of the sacrament
0: but it's it's also this hierarchy that you keep talking about dennis where every, every has its place and and everything has its duty. And the minute that gets out of whack, then things
1: start to get weird with the liturgy. I think part of many, pious Catholics even, kind of think, well, the priest has the power. I don't. My job is to kind of endure the Eucharistic prayer until the Eucharist is confected and then I get the sacrament right at the end. Yeah, yeah. And the literally the word is kind of this thing. It's good to know. And the responsorial psalm is that thing I really have to sit through when the cantor is yelling, you know, yelling at me. Mm-hmm. And then, but mostly I just endure all this stuff until the Eucharist happens. And it's kind of this funny post-Trent thing I think that's emphasizing real presence, real presence. I'm not denying the real presence, but to actually say the real presence, the meal it, part of it, and the reception of the real Christ is the finishing. It's the coup de grace. It's the like nail in the coffin. That's not a good, (laughs) it's the (laughs) last bit of stone rolled away from the tomb Uh of a larger event. So please come in the door. Let me teach you about Jesus. You know, be in right relationship with each other. Say, I believe, you know, when you get the chance after you've heard the gospel and the homily and then surrender yourself as a victim. And then at the end, Boom, everything you just did, here's the fulfillment of that. It's not just sitting around until the magic words are said over the bread and then you get the magic vitamin pill. I shouldn't speak that way, but <laughs> I think there is yeah. a, a tendency, even among pious Catholics, to think that that's, that's right. what you do at Mass. And
2: Ratzinger certainly isn't telling people to just sit down and be quiet until it's all done. He's wanting people to get involved, but the important thing for Ratzinger especially addressing kind of extremes that have come up since the council, was to say you need to understand what you are participating in and how it is that you participate, that it's this universal, objective, mysterious reality God gives to us. And so that way we learn how to have fruitful participation. If you're truly offering yourself with Christ, that is what is fruitful. That is what transfigures your life and gives you, you know, the glimpse into eternity. And so you know, Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, he's all about
1: that, and he wants us yeah. to do that. Basically, he's saying the same stuff, right? The thing that all the great insights of the liturgical movement, everybody's like wandering around in the edges of the forest with these crazy ideas. How could anybody think external participation is more important than internal participation?
2: What's the argument for that? Well, um, it's almost always different interpretations of Sacrificent and Concilium. So there's one line in there that gets a lot of attention that says, Um, Mother Church desires the faithful to participate in the liturgy which is demanded by the very nature of the liturgy. I think that's paragraph 14. And so if participation is demanded by the nature of the liturgy, um, then how is it, you know, does that mean, as some people might argue, that, you know, the faithful's participation contributes to the actual happening of the liturgy, you know? And on the other hand, we say active participation, and I mentioned this in my thesis. There is a lot of uh, Uh, debate and discussion about whether that should be translated actual participation and does active really bring about the Latin word actuosa participatio. Did you come to a conclusion on that? Well in my paper I, I put it in the very beginning I said I'm just gonna say active participation because it's almost always said that way but keeping in mind the distinction the insight that by active we also mean actual it's not just external because in English Active can mean like, I'm doing things, I'm walking, I'm running, I'm talking. Um, but active, in this sense, connotes the entire person, you know, mind, soul, body, being part of the action, of the
0: liturgical action.
1: People talk about active listening, like really concentrate on the person oh, yes, talking yes. to you. Sorry, what did you say? Yeah, no, active listening. Just <laughs> oh, got it. So you could be sitting there doing nothing but really concentrating on the person talking to you. Like I imagine a spiritual director or a therapist would have to do really active listening, And they might might look passive, but they're really, really intensely uh, focused on the words being said.
2: Yeah. I was thinking of this analogy the other day. A baseball game, you have a batter and a pitcher and an umpire. Which of them is actively participating in the game? The umpire is just as active in the game as the batter and the pitcher. He's not kind of executing the action of the event but if he's not part of it, then it's not a baseball game. He's just as active
1: and watching. And you see how closely some fans identify with their favorite player. So they're not gonna go up at that plate during the World Series and hit a Grand Slam home run to win the seventh game. But they can so closely identify with whoever their slugger is, that when that guy gets the Grand Slam and wins the World Series, they're like, I won, we won, right? They're talking about we won. And so in a sense, they're not doing but they are deeply, actively participating in the same reality in a different way. Yeah,
0: I want to write a book about baseball and liturgy because I think <laughs> it's just oh, there's just so much. I think there. that would be
1: a grand slam, Jesse.
0: I, well, thank oh, you. Oh, oh. I, I mean, you know,
1: he's a, the king of puns. In the books, too. <laughs> I know this is a good. We should have yeah, you've, been, you've been behaving yourself today. Feel free <laughs> yeah. to pull a few Jesse jokes uh, here.
0: But you know, when you walk up to the baseball stage, so I'm a Cubs fan. I, what who do you have a baseball? Uh,
2: uh, well, now that I'm not going to be ministering in Chicago anymore, I can you don't say have I'm a Cardinals fan. Oh, man. Yeah. All right.
0: Get out <laughs> of here. No. Uh, but when you go to the baseball stadium, especially in, in Chicago, it's kind of a city... Uh, feeling around there and you're walking up and you can like smell the hot dogs and all it, you know, you're just like, it's that foretaste of hot dogness, and mm-hmm. there's just so much nuance to the game that you can always dive deeper into the
1: game if you want to. And you go um, to an old church and you can smell the last incense they used or the oh candle yeah. wax or it has a churchy smell and mm-hmm. nothing's happening, but it's already putting you in the right disposition.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So there's mm-hmm. just so much there. I think that it's kind of parallels the mm-hmm. liturgy. Oh,
2: yes. Yeah. And if you go to a baseball game and you're staring at your phone the entire time, you haven't
0: participated in anything. <laughs> that's true. You're yeah, Reading true. the bulletin.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thinking about something else, the parking lot or whatever. Yeah,
0: absolutely. There's a lot of analogies. And here. there's ushers in both,
1: so <laughs> and they can help you. If they <laughs> both fleece you of your money. Uh-huh. At least <laughs> one's true. voluntarily given, and one's Catholics <laughs> like to sit in the bleachers. Yeah, <laughs> <that's> except <laughs> nothing costs a dollar at the uh, baseball yeah, that's stadium anymore. Dollar, but you know we have,
0: seat. and you know we don't have our saints, but we have like our uh, our players that we honor. There's statues of them. There's little things everywhere. They're retired that, number, yeah. retired numbers. In fl- Wrigley, they have the flags of of the retired numbers hanging up there. I mean, there's just so much um, going on there that's beyond just the game itself. You know, mm-hmm. you're honoring past players and talking about the players that are currently play. You even have, you know, different flags in Wrigley from the different teams in, in our league and our division. You know,
1: it's it's just very interesting. Yeah, the past is present in a place like Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Who knows what the future mm-hmm. holds for the Cubs? But yeah,
0: another World Series, obviously, where they beat the Cardinals. <laughs> but suppose the NLDS. suppose mm-hmm.
1: you come from another place and you didn't know anything about baseball, and someone says, "I'll give you a hundred bucks if you go stand in the seat and cheer, and eat a hot dog, and have a beer," and inside you're like, "I hate this, I hate this," but from <laughs> the outside you look like you are so participatory. <laughs> <laughs> You see, external participation without interior participation is a sham, right? Right. I think uh, Virgil Michael said it was like being a zombie. You know, you just if you if you look like you're interested in mass, but you aren't offering yourself as a victim on the on the altar with the priest, then it's not a real thing. He, in fact, I think he says it's an offense against God. That's why I can't believe anybody serious theologian would argue that active participation only means or primarily means mm-hmm. exterior participation. You go through the motions, but you don't really mean it. That's just big fake time. Yeah. Uh, Ratzinger has this really cool quote but, I found
2: that we all know the the motto, uh, do the red, say the black, you know, with the rubrics, the rubrics of the instructions. Ratzinger says, The content of the liturgy, the liturgy liturgy forms us not just in the red and what we're supposed to do, but in the black, the text of the liturgy, you know, the prayers the priest says. What is the liturgical reality that's coming through? And we're supposed to be formed in that. We're supposed to receive that. So more important than following just the red, but is also to follow the black, to bring our hearts into the content, into Mm. what Christ is bringing us today.
1: I like that. Yeah. Is that a good place to finish, Justin? I think so. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Father Brian Strauss, smart guy, L.I. graduate. Mm-hmm. Thank Cape, you so much. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Who is this Gerardo guy? You know?
2: I actually don't know. I grew up on the other side of the diocese. I'll have to look wow. that up. All right. On the Springfield yeah. side. Sorry, tide. Bishop Rice. I just
1: said smart guy, and then he doesn't even know where his own town comes well, from. Okay. <laughs> easy to find. More important to know yeah. about internal participation than external facts.
0: I know where my town, Mundelein, comes from. Cardinal oh. Mundelein. Well, Boom. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I knew that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Only city in America named after a Catholic cardinal. Pretty cool.
1: Yeah, a, he was alive early. at the time. Yeah. Oh, Could wow. you imagine if a guy out there somewhere gets a town named after him? You know, well, we'll maybe have, there'll be a Supich, Illinois someday. Maybe there. there'll be a McNamara. Dolan, New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. All right, mm-hmm. well, thank you for joining us. In Are we going to answer a liturgy
1: heard. question? Sure. Okay, cool.
0: All right. So you guys know that we love the Liturgical Institute, and we love everything that we do here, but you know who else loves the Liturgical Institute? Yeah, Bishop Robert Barron, and guess what he has to say about it?
1: Well, I've known the Liturgical Institute from the very beginning. I was at Mundelein on the faculty in 2000 when it started. I knew Monsignor Mannion very well, who was the founder, Uh, Dr. McNamara, who was with him from the beginning. I've known, we've become good friends. I've spoken many times there. I've known all the faculty members. I've known many of the students. So I I know from the ground up what the, um, the LI does. And they introduce people into the beauty of the church's intellectual tradition and liturgical tradition. And um, I don't know, in the country, a better place to go to get immersed precisely in that aesthetic dimension and the intellectual than the L.I. So, you know, I'm a big fan. Mail call, mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care?
2: Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know
0: what this is, class, anyone? Okay, this question this week comes from Jesse Weiler. Jesse. Uh, And uh, I I still have questions about the liturgy. He knows everything already. (laughs) Jesse says, oh, sorry. We'll keep on the Jay Weiler. Uh, No, no, Jesse W. Oh, Jesse W. Anonymity. Okay. Uh, Jesse says, is it okay to ever use pre-recorded music during the mass? And then he says. What does he say? Like a liturgical DJ. He's funny like
1: that. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. Many years ago, I was at an extraordinary form mass and it was a place that didn't have a choir and the, the priest was quite elderly and he had a CD player in the sanctuary. He what's, would, a, what's a CD player? Yeah, it's sort of like an MP3 player. What's a sanctuary? <laughs> 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 and he would come down from the altar and press play and you'd hear this like Kyrie and then he would turn it off. Wait, so this like, really like, happened? Yes, yeah, so then he would go up there and then he'd do whatever and then he'd come down and press Gloria and we'd all wait for it to be done. And then he would do the, re- this is all the ordinary. The mass was played that way. I knew something was wrong. I was young and naive then.
0: What the, is the, fascinating. What's the
1: word on this recorded well, music? I, I've, I've heard... also been to first communions where they play a, well, that's a what I'm talking and then about. The kids yeah. dance with it and stuff. I mean, that's what Jesse's talking yeah. about, but this is a question for Father Brian Strauss oh. to show how smart he is. Well, what do you have to say about this?
2: Thankfully, I had a great liturgical music class from a Dr. McNamara at oh, the liturgical oh. Institute. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So maybe I can apply a little of that. Uh, it's a good question. It might be kind of common out there to have recorded music at Mass, but the, the idea of the church, the documents the church gives us, the ideal is that music and worship is supposed to be an expression of the voice of human beings, the voice of the church given to God. So it's definitely preferred that it be live. And then instrumental music, of course, the organ, the piano is meant to accompany that because the word just like Jesus, the word comes to us in the liturgy, the words we sing are most important. So we're not supposed to generally have
1: recorded music. Um, Doesn't uh, Sing to the Lord say something about that?
2: Sing to the Lord is a uh, document that does say something about right. that. That's that the
1: bishop's, U.S. Bishops' guidelines for music in the liturgy from 2007. Seven? Yeah,
2: 2007. And so that document says recorded music lacks the authenticity that a living liturgical assembly should have in the sacred liturgy yeah
1: it's like watching tv mass it's better than nothing but
2: it's better to do it right and so it should not as a general norm be used within the liturgy it says
1: that's recorded
0: so we can't just go into our church and then throw ewtn's mass up and say like no
1: and then say that's mm -hmm. mass right (laughs) (laughs) yeah that notion that we are actually authentically giving ourselves and singing the praise of god for gratitude and in honor of him like that's what you do from the depths of your heart that's what in some ways worship is it's this movement of your desire to be one well with God and just oh well yeah. let's press a button and become a, an audience to a recording it's, it's just not in the nature of the liturgy to do that
2: right so some exceptions could be maybe if you have extended times of silence like if you're doing a Camino reconciliation liturgy that's um right.
1: sing to the Lord says right
2: yes yeah okay. sing the Lord what paragraph that. number is that that is paragraph 94
1: 94
2: of sing to the Lord, oh, sing look, to look, the the up. Lord. look it up and it says, you know, and then a couple other exceptions, um, an aide de prairie, I said that, uh, during a procession outside.
0: Wait, um, oh, and okay. Got it.
2: But then it ends with however recorded music should never become a substitute for the community singing. That is the key idea. Yes. Yeah, so what's most important is well, putting... Well, it depends
1: the, on who your <laughs> choir is really. That's what I... <laughs> you might wish it did, but it can't be. Well... Better real singers pouring out their heart to God singing badly than the the oxford university choir singing something beautifully and nobody cares about offering themselves to god that's yeah. right and all right i'll get better
0: well thank you very much and if you have a question for us you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or you can
1: call father brian's cell well, can, phone yeah we'll give you your cell phone it is 555, 555,
0: 555, 555, 555 thank you and god bless now that's a podcast
1: the liturgy guys is produced by the liturgical institute